Hello and welcome to another edition of Pacific Post-Ups. Nick, how are you? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, I was glad I decided to have a slightly uh, later sleep time uh, on Wednesday night, uh, Australian time, because there were there were quite a few uh, NBA news bombs uh, dropping on Twitter uh, just as I was about to crash and stayed up a little bit longer for everything to pay out. It felt like every couple of minutes there was a new news story coming out. So, um, And yet, while there's certainly a few of them that didn't concern the Pacific Division, two of the major ones does uh, um, indeed concern the, the teams that we cover. So um, it's given us quite a bit to talk about, um, particularly with, yeah, with two teams who are still very much in the uh, in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, this was going to be a jam-packed week for Pacific Division basketball regardless. And, and then to get hit by those two absolute bombs, um, you know, late last night here in Australia, uh, obviously the Kawhi Leonard uh, knee situation was not as surprising, uh, although the news was a little bit, I think, steeper than what we suspected. And then what happened with CP3 just completely uh, coming out of the blue. Um, but to, to start the way we always do, by taking a dip here, um, I think Kawhi Leonard's knee is the best place to start. So, Nick, uh, what's your gut feel on this one? Yeah, obviously, as you said, Lou, it wasn't a surprise that there was a problem with Kawhi's knee uh, in the previous game. Did exit, I think it was, didn't play the last probably five minutes, I think, of that game. Potentially, it might have been more. Um, but um, with the tweet coming out uh, last night, our time uh, in the morning, uh, US time from uh, from Shams, dropping a bomb as he typically does, it, it's um, potentially an ACL tear. And in terms of, I guess, like ranking injuries that you can get, ACL is very much up there. And obviously, there's no way that he comes back then in the series if that is the case. Um, obviously, it hasn't been confirmed that it is an, an ACL tear yet. Um, that's what the Clippers are fearing. Obviously, he's going to get scans and see what what happens. Um, so, I imagine we'd find out fairly soon. But if that is the case, it not only has uh, massive ramifications on this season for the Clippers, but for next year as well. Um, so, coming back from an ACL injury is can be pretty rough. Um, so, it'll be interesting to sort of see what happens there uh, with Kawhi. But obviously... Um, yeah, for this series um, against Utah, and you know if they get past Utah as well, it's it's massive having their best player not on the floor. Yeah, um, and you're totally right from everything I'm hearing. If if that is a tear, obviously there's definitely no way he plays in the rest of this playoffs. I think the best case scenario at this point uh, is that it's a strain, um, which then seems to be a little bit more open to interpretation. But the general consensus I've got is that. If it is a strain, he's definitely not playing for a while. And even if they would have managed to hold on without him, I don't think he would be 100% uh, if he returned. Uh, and we certainly know from Kawhi's history that I highly doubt he's going to jeopardise uh, his long-term health uh, for the benefit of his franchise. Um, so as frustrating as it is losing another starter injury, I guess we have to be evaluating the Clippers moving forward under the assumption that there will be no Kawhi Leonard for the remainder of this year. Yeah, it's, it's it's not like Kawhi is going to you know potentially give it a crack on a bad hamstring like James Harden has and potentially like Mike Conley will in the next game. An, an ACL injury, you know, with his knee is is massive, and if he does come out there under um, you know a cloud of injury where he's still not a hundred percent, he could do more damage to his knee, um, which you know obviously is. Really interesting. Obviously, we talked about a lot what Kawhi is going to do in the offseason. I mean, you imagine he, you know, sort of opts out for, for a bigger contract. But it's, yeah, it, it does sort of cast a cloud. You know, it's like, okay, well, he's going to be out for a, a large chunk of time. Do, do less teams, you know, try to throw their hat in the ring to go get him? It's, it is interesting, um, the timing of the injury, obviously. Um, but yeah, it, it does. It, it is a shame that we obviously can't see him back out there. Um, he's playing quite well. And, you know, the, this is his time to shine uh, where he really starts to, to hit that fourth gear. But um, probably just before we sort of get onto the Clippers um, and how they perform without Kawhi, Le- LeBron's comments were pretty strong on Twitter. Um, after Kawhi, um, Kawhi's injury news came out, the fact that um, LeBron, there was quite a, a number of tweets, I think it was three or four tweets in the thread that um, he was talking about essentially how the shortened uh, off-season between the two seasons um, has caused uh, a large amount of players to be injured. Obviously, we've seen a lot of players go down with injury 
prior to the playoffs or during these playoffs as well. Um, Lou, what did you make of LeBron's comments? Did you think that they were, I don't know, like bang on the money? Um, do you think it's a bit of an over over exaggeration that the shortened season, um, it was the shortened sort of turnaround between the two seasons has had that much of an effect on players' bodies? So here's the thing with these comments. Um, LeBron, what he said, 100% true. Uh, you know, the, the fact that these playoffs look totally different, you know, obviously the Lakers weren't at full strength. If Denver had Jamal Murray, that is a team that most uh, would have uh, considered to be a genuine threat to come out of the West. Um, you know, now we're obviously seeing what's happening to Kawhi. We've got Mike Conley situation in Utah. Uh, pretty much every, I mean, Chris Paul obviously was even affected for a couple of games of, the, of that first round series. Um, it, it's, and then let's not even get, you know, started on what's going on in the East, but it's, um, it's, the only thing that I do say with that is while I completely agree with everything LeBron's saying, I just probably advise those uh, that are consuming that content to take it with a grain of salt uh, purely because LeBron is, is a man of great narrative and I think it would be within his best interest to have everyone think of this season as a bit of a, a write-off season, um, you know, to, to look at it as, oh, that was that year that everyone struggled because of injuries because it does help his uh, overall scheme and 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 you know, legacy. Oh, but his com- that doesn't take away from the fact that his comments are 100% in my mind. Yeah, I, I think it is a tricky one with the injuries because some of these injuries, it's, it's very hard to draw a parallel to like less rest and recuperation during the off season. Like an ACL injury can happen to the healthiest of athletes. Um, it doesn't take much for an ACL injury to, you know, to, to happen. I've, you, you see it happen all the time. We see it um, in, in a variety of sports that can be a sharp change of direction, just a bad landing or anything. And it's an injury that happens. Like hamstring strange, hamstring strains can happen. It's, I'm not sure how, how much, um, I guess, yeah, correlation between the shortened off season has with the injuries. I do understand that they are going to cause it is going to cause problems that athletes, particularly you know for guys who have been in the NBA for a long time, they've got used to a routine of how um, the season's structured and how long off they have. They know that these are the the best athletes in the world at their job. They know what they need to do to get themselves right for the next season. So. Yeah, I, I, while I do put a little bit of, I guess, a little bit of credence in what LeBron said, it's just, I, I do think it's a bit of an overreaction. I do agree that, w- would he be making those comments, um, you know, after holding up another Larry O'Brien trophy um, about injuries? I'm not exactly sure. Um, that'd only be, you know, for LeBron to know. But yeah, it's, it, it is interesting. I, I, I was surprised how, how massive the overreaction was. Yeah, and I think that feeds back to look. You do make a good point. Um, I, I guess the the counter argument is look the and from a scientific perspective, what you're saying is correct. Most of these injuries aren't necessarily a result of overwork. I think the, the bigger question is more the more games you play in, in a shorter period of time, it just increases the likelihood of getting injured from the perspective of you know if you're on the court every second day for the last twelve months, that's a lot more games than uh than if you weren't. Um, mm-hmm. So, so you're going to see more injuries just purely as, as a data a, a data exercise of the amount of games they're playing. Um, just, you know, all these fluky injuries, uh, the more often you play, the more likely you are to do a fluky injury. You know, you're not, not going to do a fluky injury on a, on a day off or a day in the weight room. Um, yeah. But it, I do think uh, it is worth, yeah, just reminding everyone that um, when LeBron de- de- tends to make these comments, uh, he does tend to make them with a motive. And it's not always a self-serving motive. LeBron's made a lot of comments over the years that are, are there for the betterment of all of the players. Um, but there's certainly an element of him that's no doubt laying the seeds of narrative. Um, and, and just like we gave LeBron his respect, as he asked when they won their championship last year, it's important to keep giving respect to the teams that are that are still fighting. Um, because if anything, it's, a, it's an accomplishment that they've been as healthy as they are, the teams that are still standing on two legs. Well said. Now, um, moving to uh, the game that um, just recently was played today, uh, the Clippers are one win away from their first ever Western Conference Finals appearance, uh, the second year in a row, uh, with a, a pretty handy 119-111 win over Utah. Obviously, no Kawhi. Um, Terrence Mann moved into the starting lineup, who I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but it really was the story of the game, I guess, was Paul George. Um, certainly, uh, 
might have earned back his uh, playoff P nickname that he gave himself. Um, he, he was awesome. Had 37 points, 12 of 22 from the floor, uh, three of nine from deep. He had a play, playoff career high for him, 16 rebounds, five assists, two steals and a block. Just completely took over that game. He was shooting with confidence, uh, looked like you know, he was in, in total control of that game, really manipulating the Utah defense, um, making the right plays a lot of the time, hit some really clutch buckets with that sort of late and one jumper under a, a couple of minutes to go, some big three throws. Um, it was quite the performance from uh, Paul George, yeah, Luke. Yeah, um, and uh, look, I, something I had a bit of a gut feel this might happen when I woke up to that that news this morning. Um, the, the thought just kind of crossed my mind that perhaps this might rattle Utah a little bit and, and you do tend to see teams uh, rally in these scenarios like the Clippers did um, and full credit goes to Paul George. I, I mean, the interesting thing to keep in mind is is this Clippers team, uh, you know, as much as we talked about certain holes in the roster, you know, to a certain degree, their, their lack of big man depth, particularly with the Barker out, this team is generally stocked with fairly good uh, three and D role players, you know, the variance of, of three and D for, on a player-to-player basis isn't always 100%, but guys that can play positional defense and, and generally hit shots. Um, so it's actually still pretty well set up for a guy like Paul George if, if he can be a top-five player for a couple of games. Um, to have a bunch of three and D guys around him, um, and if he can be the man, you know, this, this team's ceiling isn't perhaps as low as some people initially thought with the news that Kawhi was going to be out. Um and the interesting thing now here for Paul George is, is he doesn't need to be the guy for four rounds. He needs to be the guy for, you know, another game and then another two rounds after that. And I think he's showing glimpses. I mean, he did come third in the MVP only a couple of years ago of a guy that could do that. Um, so it's a very interesting wrinkle to watch with this team uh, moving forward. And I guess the other part of it now as well is Utah have got a full game of film. They know what to expect. They might get their starting point guard back. Um, so I think we'll learn a lot about how much depth the Clippers are going to have moving forward in this playoff run next game when they face a Utah team that's had a better chance to prepare for them. Yeah, it, I mean the roster we said has always had the it's had the guys on it to to get the job done. It's really I think the the big sort of thing for the Clippers has always been above the shoulders whether they can sort of really fight um, in some tough situations. Obviously last year um, going down three one showed some potentially some some frailties um, in that department, but. As you said, the roster's equipped to to hurt teams. Um, and when, when the ball's fizzing around like like they were tonight, uh, end up having, uh, oh, I've just lost it. Um, they, they they shot the ball pretty well from three after Utah started out absolutely cooking. <laughs> um, hit, they hit seventeen or thirty of their um their heaves from deep to start the game. Bogdanovich um, was chief among them. It was a really good perform- performance from him when uh, Mitchell was sort of struggling to get going a little bit. Uh, he, he didn't take a lot of shots in the in the opening quarter and then really struggled to get into rhythm for the rest of the game. Um, so that certainly helped um, the Clippers a lot. But yeah, that, they had plenty of contributors. Like um, Reggie Jackson continues to, to play some really handy basketball in that starting point guard role. Had another 22-point night. Marcus Morris came out absolutely cooking. Uh, you know, it's... You, we, you talked about Lou last week how 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 much uh, supreme confidence he has in himself um, with his shot, but you know, un- understandably, he was you know confident today and had you know twenty five points on ten or sixteen shooting. So they had contributors all, all the way down the roster um, and all, all the way down the rotation, and just just how they're able to sort of generate so many open looks from three. Um, it was a pretty lackadaisical performance, I thought, from Utah on the defensive end. Well, probably one of the worst defensive games they've played in a while, and. Um, but everything that went right for the Clippers, uh, you know, did. So if they're able to carry that into next game, then, yeah, they, they're heading to the conference finals. As simple as that. Yeah, and I think the easy thing to forget is we always talk in, in playoff series about, um, about you know, you want to be the, be the team that's got the best guy on the court, particularly as we start talking to game six and game seven. I'm just curious because obviously you, you follow the Clippers uh, as part of the coverage here. We do on Pacific post-ups and, Pretty well documented how well you follow the Jazz. Who Who's right now at this very point in time, who is the better player in your mind out of Paul George and Donovan Mitchell? Mm. I'm going to give it to Spider just, which is potentially 
I'm getting in an early preview. <laughs> I'm getting in an additional uh, scorching <laughs> lukewarm with chili. Um, but I think the different ways than Mitchell can hurt you um, is a little bit different. What he can do attacking the paint, um, I think, is exceptional. Um, his ability to get to his right hand, able to really contort his body uh, to either get contact and head to the line or finish at the rim or both of those things at the same time, I think is very uh, sublime. And it's you know probably no coincidence that Dwayne Wade's on the bench because he, he, quite often he's the player I sort of draw a lot of comparisons with um, with Mitchell's game. And when he can get cooking from the perimeter, I think I think Paul George is probably the more consistent shooter. Uh, Mitchell's going to get there, I think. Um, but when Mitchell's in a zone, he can certainly really start to hurt teams from the perimeter. We've already seen uh, in this series, and we've seen it. We saw it last year in the bubble against the Nuggets. Uh, and then I think also his playmaking ability sometimes as well is probably something that's very, very underrated. Um, I think. Um, for Mitchell and there's a large part of the Utah offenses. Um, a, lo- a lot of the three point three pointers they started to generate in the bubble last year and um, right throughout this season, it comes a lot off Mitchell's ability to really attack the paint and kick the ball out um, to shooters um, who are wide open. So I think in that aspect, um, I like Mitchell a little bit better. Probably the argument, if you could say for Paul George, is his defensive um, game is, I would say, a lot better than Mitchell's at the moment. Mitchell can be a pesky defender, but he's still, I wouldn't say he's the best um, sort of backcourt defender in the NBA, whether Paul George, when he sort of switched on and whatnot, he can use his athletic ability quite well um, on, on that end of the floor as sort of that number two defender alongside Kawhi. So it's close, but I do think Mitchell's the better player, but we'll we'll see in the next game if he's able to sort of, you know, rise to that moment. Yeah, look, I, I think you obviously you outlined some tremendous points there. And I think you're probably right. It probably is Donovan Mitchell. But to me, the I mean, and, and I think where Donovan Mitchell is going to be two years from now will far supersede where Paul George is at the moment. Um, but it's so razor thin, the difference right now. Like I, I would give it to Donovan Mitchell by like 5%. Um, and so it's it's a close enough gap that I could believe that Paul George could outduel him. Uh, over the next two games or game, depending on what happens. It, it's that close for me. Um, but I, I almost wonder if with Kawhi out, whether this will actually help Paul George mentally um, as far as, you know, there, there's kind of no one to rely on. He is the guy. Uh, he's got plenty of supporting guys around him, but he is the, the guy that the team lives and dies by. Uh, and I actually wonder if, if that suits him um, better, if he might step up kind of, uh, in, in that situation, because um, that was probably where he played his best basketball in Indiana when he was the guy, as opposed to being able to kind of hide behind Westbrook and Kawhi in playoff series, um, somewhat to his detriment. So it, it will be interesting to see how that goes. Um, and look, I have to wear it uh, because of uh, what I call him. <laughs> there was not a lot of Pascal Siakam in his game today, that's for sure. Uh, no. There's a lot of jump shots being made. There wasn't too many spin moves. I, I have to cop that one, Paul George. You, you absolutely proved me wrong. I think he, he he certainly, I think, proved a few people wrong today. You know, Lou, you weren't alone with um, having your doubts over um, Paul George's performance in the playoffs and like myself included in that pack, uh, potentially still included in that pack. Um, but... Yeah, the comments are about Indiana are bang on the money, particularly like after the game. He, you know, he talked about the fact that you know he's sort of is embracing being that guy again. Um, he, he specifically mentioned his time in Indiana, how he was that guy contributing and driving them to playoff wins, and he's got the opportunity to do that again. And it's, it seems like something he's really going to thrive under. So potentially, this could be the best Paul George we've seen in a while. Um, someone who's you know taking the taking the Batman suit rather than the Robin one. And um, yeah, I'm I'm really really intrigued for the next game between these two um, ball clubs. As you said, they'll have a better idea of the Jazz will have a better idea of what the Clippers are going to look like without Kawhi. Um, whether Conley is back playing could really swing things. And if he's depending on how his hamstring looks, is he more looking like more like Mike Conley, or is he looking more like uh, how James Harden did in the last game for Brooklyn? So. Um, that's going to be massive. This has been a really good series. I'm very eager to see how it finishes and then to see which team goes and faces Phoenix. But for Phoenix, um, they certainly got some not so great news as well, Lou. 
Yeah, um, it, it's it's a it's a real shame. Obviously, uh, Nick, you've just come out of COVID lockdown, and now CP3 goes in, um, and it seems the news is a little bit vague. Uh, there seems to be fairly confident reporting now that CP3 is vaccinated, which makes his positive test all the more confusing, whether it's a false positive or what the situation is there. Um, what's your gut feel on the read of the situation? How do you see the tea leaves on this one? Yeah, obviously you said that the, the reports are starting to come out that he, he is vaccinated. Um, I think Jalen Rose made a comment about it on ESPN's The Jump um, or one of their other programs. I always get their names confused. I apologize to the ESPN network. Um, but yeah, he did say that he's vaccinated. And if that's the case, then it potentially could be just a, a short um, period um, in isolation. Um, whether that's just missing one game, if it's two, that's when I'd probably start to get a little bit worried about the series. One game I don't think is going gonna, is gonna to completely throw the series too far one way or the other, whether that is Utah or the Clippers who come out um, of their semifinal series. Um, but it's, it's not great news. Um, it does halt a little bit of momentum maybe for the, for the Suns. I'm not sure if that's something they're going to be too concerned about. Uh, obviously, they've been sitting pretty, sweeping the Nuggets, and then... Uh, sort of just sitting and waiting to see what happens um, with his seven-game series um, between the Clippers and Jazz, whether that goes to seven or not. Obviously, the earliest uh, or the latest that would start would be the 21st of June. Uh, so, so CP3's got time. I'm not sure if he gets up for game one, if that's the case. Game two is looking a little bit more likely if it is a short isolation period. But, yeah, it is it is an interesting one, particularly, Lou, obviously, off the back of how he performed in game four. Yeah, um, and look, I, I do want to get to the back end of that uh, Nugget Sun series shortly, but I guess just wrapping up what we're looking at moving forward here. Um, I, I think the Suns are lucky in the regard that, look, I, I think we can pretty much all say with a fair amount of confidence that it seems un- very unlikely that Chris Paul is going to have a full-fledged case of COVID and all the recovery that comes with that, because if that is the case, then those repercussions are serious. We saw how much guys uh, struggled coming back from that in certain instances. Um, you know, obviously closely following the Celtics, I saw what it did to someone like Jason Tatum for more than, you know, the two weeks or three weeks he was affected by it, the, the month afterwards as well. So we're going to assume that Chris Ball doesn't have it in its full-fledged capacity. Um, but I think what does work for the Suns is that, look, we can narrow their opposition down to two. Uh, and the Clippers, I highly, highly doubt, are going to be fully healthy. I think we can pretty much suspect that uh, Kawhi Leonard will not be playing in that series. He certainly wouldn't be starting it. Um, and so I think the Suns are kind of on on the right side of that ledger if it's the Clippers. And, and look, if it's Utah, there's a couple of parts to it. One, I think Phoenix could maybe steal a game one off Utah, particularly if Utah don't have Mike Conley. Um, and uh, obviously Phoenix will be real rested. But the other part of it is, look, that game's going to be in Utah. Um, so if they drop uh, a game away in Utah, I don't think uh, I don't think that's you know any reason to to ring the sirens. Um, so I think look, it's not good news for the Suns, but it could be a lot worse. Yeah, I think that they've sort of if if they were sort of if this was during like the back end of a if the Nuggets um, series had gone to like six or seven, then you're probably starting to get really anxious about um, the outcomes for this. Uh, Phoenix squad, but as you said, they're you know they're sitting pretty. They're just sort of waiting to see what happens. Um, well, not only with Paul, but what happens with these two sides to come out of the semi-finals. So, I definitely think they could probably pinch a game at Utah. Um, they'd definitely be more comfortable facing a Kawhi-less Clippers squad. Um, obviously, the he- health of the Jazz, as you said, with Conley, also with Mitchell's ankle as well, is starting to look like it, it certainly impeded him in that game today. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's total panic stations yet for the Suns. Um, obviously, we still need to wait for more reports to come out about how long this isolation period is going to be because um, that will have yeah ma- major re- repercussions on what this Suns squad can do. Um, hopefully, it doesn't temper uh, the, I guess, the really good feeling around this squad at the moment. I think not only from their supporters, but also from the general NBA public. I think there's a, a good feeling um, around things and particularly as well that a large reason why people are sort of getting around Phoenix is to see Chris Paul win a ring, um, if that's possible. So 
Um, we're hoping that that, you know, a, a chance for that to happen isn't, you know, quelled. Obviously, he's had, you know, injury problems in the playoffs before. Um, this isn't an injury, but it would be a another really unfortunate thing to happen to Chris Paul um, in pursuit of that maiden championship of his. Yeah, I think it's becoming a really good feel-good story uh, out of Phoenix. Um, you know, I, I think the other thing you see with a team like this is this team hasn't been successful enough for long enough for people to start to develop a distaste for them. Yep. <laughs> um, I think you know, obviously, you'd know as a Warriors fan that uh, even if teams are, are really likable, really enjoyable, if you're good enough for long enough, people just start disliking you. Um, yep. And this Phoenix team certainly still got their shine on them. I, I think maybe Lakers fans are the only group uh, that are maybe a bit sour on them and, and a couple of guys in uh, Denver that pulled up sore after being on the wrong end of a fight. But um, generally, this Phoenix team is very likable. Um, and you mentioned Chris Paul, and, and that probably brings us to that point of uh, this uh, this back end of uh, of the Nuggets and Suns series. Was there a better representation of everything Chris Paul brings to the table than that series? You know, he was dishing out dimes left, right, and center first couple of games, and then the way he just he buried the absolute dagger um, to a a drop pick and roll scheme of the Nuggets in that last game. It was just, if you wanted a highlight of everything Chris Paul brings to the game, those four games really just displayed it perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Average 25 and a half points, 10.3 assists, five boards, and one and a half steals over that four game sweep. Um, yeah, that, that masterclass in game four was just beautiful basketball to watch. 37 points on 14 and 19 shooting, no threes. It's not like a big scoring night where he's just gone nuts from three. Um, he was scoring baskets the way Chris Paul has scored baskets. Um, I, I lost count of how many times he was able to get some space in the mid-range on that right elbow and just nail jumper after jumper after jumper. He even hit the bit of the Rucker Park sort of dribble move, um, which got the crowd really into it, um, which was awesome. He had, you know, seven assists, three boards, two steals, and he had an absolutely horrific two turnovers, which is just uh, just catastrophic from Chris Ball. Um, but, yeah, he was... It was just fantastic. You know, it was, it was a closeout game. Was intrigued to sort of see how Phoenix would handle it. Um, obviously, the just just the way he performed and put him on his back was was amazing. Particularly, we've seen like some good scoring performances from him, but I think that was the the best like scoring playoff performance from him in like over three years. Um, might have even been longer than that. I think so. To see him score like that, I think that was like the main thing I really took away. I was like, damn, okay, this is. I'm, yeah, you're really starting to get around this Phoenix squad and particularly Chris Paul. So, you know, they really dominated the game um, for, for for major parts of it. You know, they were plus 11 in the rebounds department. They got 21 rebounds out of Devin Booker and Jay Crowder, which is awesome. Um, Booker added a lazy 34 as well. But obviously the game changed massively in the third quarter when uh, Jokic got ejected for the big wind-up on campaign. Uh, you know, don't think it was a, a super malicious play by any stretch. You know, even Jokic said after the game that you know it was he was trying to make a hard foul because he was getting frustrated and they needed a bit of energy back in the game. Um, but certainly, it was a bit of a disappoint, a disappointing thing to see the you know the recently crowned MVP finish his season getting ejected. But uh, yeah, it was upgraded to a flagrant two and whatnot. How, how did you see that that little play, Lou? Um, yeah, I, I just thought that uh, I think that you know. You, as the MVP, I think you earn the benefit of the doubt and the whistle on that one. Um, and I, you know, I think that was a known troublemaker. Say it was on the other, it was the shooter on the other foot, and it was uh, Jay Crowder doing it to Monty Morris. I think it's a fair enough uh, ejection, but I think the MVPs earned better. Um, and yes, Jokic can be a little bit of a winger from time to time, but he's not known for being super violent. Um, on the other hand, I, I wouldn't want to mess with Jokic's uh, large Serbian brothers that I've seen in the crowd a couple of times at Denver games. But um, the the fact is, I think he probably should have been just a just a flagrant one. Let him play it out. Let him fight that that sweep to the death. Uh, I think you kind of earn that. And yes, there's no rule in the rule book that says MVPs get special treatment, but they always have. So I would have liked to see him, uh, you know, be allowed to stay in the game uh, at least on a play like that. Yeah, it was it it was it was disappointing as you said. Like he's, yeah, he's got no history of being a malicious player. Like, but players said that after the game, you know, they weren't like they were sort of aggravated with the play. Like, obviously, Booker responded really quickly to defend his teammate as a, as a good teammate should do. But you know, none of them were really sort of 
like saying, oh, you know, like it's typical stuff from from Jokic or anything like that. Um, both coaches were pretty disappointed that that and like surprised that that was the decision that the, the referees came to. Um, and yeah, it sort of did suck the air out of that game a little bit. It was like it, it didn't make it a foregone conclusion, but it certainly made Denver's job a lot harder. Um, you know, obviously with the shorthanded roster as it is, but taking Jokic out made it. Very, very difficult. Obviously, Will Barton had a really good game. Uh, Monty Morris also as well played all right, but it's yeah, it, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a tough one to sort of finish that. But yeah, for, credit all the credit to Phoenix in the world. Um, you know, they had a pretty clear, clear game plan right throughout that series. They uh, manipulated um, the Denver defense just how they wanted. They took advantage of the, of the matchups that they had, uh, and yeah, they, they deserved to get to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, and uh, if I was uh, Rudy Gobert at the moment, I'd be very nervous about a matchup against Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And, you know, Gobert is obviously much, much, much better defender than Nikola Jokic. But the scheme that he's asked to employ by by Quinn Snyder uh, means that, you know, there's going to be a lot of drop. And those two are two of the you know biggest mid-range sniper guys in the league. Um so it's uh it, it's I mean there are points in time where I almost think Chris Paul shoot, shoots better from the elbow than he would trying to make a layup anyway. Um, so it's uh, certainly going to be one to keep an eye on if it's that Utah matchup uh, moving forward. Um, I, I guess I'd uh, now is probably about the time to move to a uh, scorching lukewarm or chilly uh, Nick. Now I, I can see your first take here is fresh off the grill from today's game. So why don't you uh, why don't you fire away? Yeah, uh, we, we talked about uh, something we like talking about on the show um, quite a lot is uh, career re- rehabilitation uh, to a degree. And uh, certainly sometimes we can be prisoners at the moment um, when it comes to awesome playoff performances completely changing a player's, uh, I guess, trajectory or legacy. But I, one thing that did come up today, despite how well this man played uh, in a really big game, uh, missing his uh, running mate, um, I guess what my take is that I'm easing up on the Paul George uh, salvation story uh, for now. Um, I'm still very positive um, about Paul George, but I'm not willing to completely cancel out uh, the negative side of uh, playoff P's postseason uh, career yet. I uh, I think as far as the public discourse goes, that that's scorching, but I, I'm going to give that a lukewarm, Nick. Um, why don't you, uh, I guess, give us some more detail on why it is you feel that way? It's not, it's not a major discussion that I need to get into. It's just, I, I think my main thought is, is like, fantastic that he's played that well, okay, to to get them to a point. But we have seen the Clippers get to this point before, where they are ready to take that next step into their maiden Western Conference Finals, and it hasn't happened. So while I think that today's uh, game against Utah was massive. Um, they needed to come out strong um, with the Kawhi news. They needed to show some fight and show that, you know, just because their best player is not on the floor doesn't mean they're, they're easy beats by any stretch of the imagination. And I think Paul George has changed some opinions. I'm still, yeah, steadfast in thinking that he needs to have now a really big game to close things out. It's not. It can't be a one-game thing for Paul George. And although he's had quite a number of thirty-point games in a row, and he appears to be turning a corner, um, at least for this year's playoffs, we have seen it before where he's followed up a really good game with a really bad game. And this this game, honestly, for the Clippers in the back end of this series is is huge. Coming off the, you know, the, how they exited the playoffs last year in, in the bubble, dropping that three-one lead. They can't do that again. They need to close things out um, to make it, um, you know, a four-two win in the series. I, I really don't like the chances if if it gets to seven. And I, I need I need to see a big game from Paul George to close things out. Then I'd probably be starting to to change my opinion on his uh, postseason play um, with a, a little bit more of a serious discussion. But right now, I'm I'm uh, I'm holding my stock in playoff peak. Yeah, it's it's interesting with Paul George because, um, look, I'll be the first to say that a couple of years ago when he was on the Thunder, I drank all the Paul George Kool-Aid. Um, when he had that MVP year, you know, he'd really started to sharpen up as a shooter at that point. Um, and then he laid an absolute brick against the Jazz in the playoffs. 
Um, and, you know, you could say it's a one series thing, but those guys that are in that top five category very rarely lay a brick in the first round. Um, and then I think perhaps the conversation swung too far over the last 18 months, and that's definitely included myself, to this point where we've probably underrated Paul George um, just because he's not the guy in an alpha sense. Um, and this, I think, is a perfect opportunity for him to swing the pendulum back to probably where it belongs, which is, look, is he a guy you could build your roster around year in, year out, you know, pretty much a conference finals guarantee kind of player? No. But is he a guy that in the right scenario with the right role players could lead you to a couple of series wins? And if everything broke perfectly, get you to the finals, let's say the way that Jimmy Butler did last year on the on the Heat where everything broke perfectly for him. I think that's absolutely the guy he is. So uh, you are right. One game doesn't change the PG discussion. I mean, we're not sitting here talking about how Reggie Jackson was vindicated in wanting to start over Russell Westbrook after that performance today. So let, let's let's not get too ridiculous. But uh, I think everyone talked about Kevin Durant's legacy coming into that game against Milwaukee, which was stupid because Kevin Durant's legacy is as secure as anyone's legacy can be. The conversation really should be around Paul George's legacy because he can get this team to the Western Conference Finals. It's only one more game. He's only going to win one of two. And if he can get him to the Western Conference Finals, have we not already seen throughout this playoffs, you have no idea what's ahead of us. Devin Booker could tear an Achilles into its second game into the series. And then all of a sudden you go, well, PG versus CP, This PG right in this. And, you know, it could change so quickly. So I think this is definitely a, a playoffs of survival. And Paul George has a perfect opportunity here to rewrite the book on on his legacy. But I, I do certainly agree with you. One game does not change the legacy. Yeah, I think I think the floor is now his. Um, he's got more eyes on him. And I think everyone's excited to see if this can continue. And I certainly am as well. Um, you know, seeing uh, if, if this is what he's able to do. Um and repeat that performance against uh, the Jazz to close things out and continue. Yeah, as you said, the Clippers on a run. Who knows where it goes? Um, then I think then, yeah, the discourse starts to change quite rapidly. Um, but I'm just waiting to see. I'm just waiting to see. Now, but also what we are waiting to see and hear, Lou, is your first take uh, of the show. Hit us with it. Yeah, so I'm going to keep things on the PG front. Um, Paul George is one game away from securing Kawhi Leonard as his running mate for the next couple of years. So one win away from securing Kawhi Leonard as his running mate in the next couple of years in LA in a Clippers jersey. Ooh, okay. I think I'm going to sit in the middle on lukewarm on this one. Can you delve into uh, your reasoning here as to why you think this is going to be so important for Kawhi's presence uh, in the Clippers uniform going forward? So I think, obviously, there's been two conversations around why Kawhi Leonard wouldn't stay in LA. Um, And one of them has been, you know, is this the right supporting cast as far as, you know, role players? You know, they've obviously given up a lot of their picks to get Paul George. Um, You know, could he go to a situation that would be a better fit for him maybe, even though obviously we we understand geographically he's 100% where he wants to be. Um, Unless, of course, the Clippers want to move back to San Diego. Um, But I... uh, I think the other part of that conversation has been, is Paul George really a good enough number two for Kawhi? Uh, And as he's delivered a couple of bricks in the playoffs last year, I think people really started to question that. If this team can get to the conference finals, uh, which they're only one win away from, without Kawhi being there to finish off that second round, and Paul George is no doubt going to be the man at the helm of that, then I think that says to Kawhi, look, this team is good enough for you. Uh, I think they were on a path to get there before he got injured. Uh, and I then think he's going to look around at the scenario and go, look, I know Steve Farmer's going to take care of me, whether it's a torn ACL, whatever I've done to my knee, he's going to look after me financially. There's no doubt there. There's going to be a commitment to spend. There's going to be a commitment to give up whatever assets they can give up as their draft picks slowly become available into the future. Um, and I think Paul George just needs to get through to the conference finals, uh, and he's going to give Kawhi that that extra layer of confidence he needs. And like I just said before, with the way this postseason's gone, get through to the conference finals, the sky's the limit. So. I, I do agree, because I know I sort of went out on a limb a, a, a few weeks ago and saying that Kawhi was gone, um, and that was sort of how things were looking 
against Dallas in that first round. And those questions were starting to be asked about the supporting cast, about Paul George, about the the toughness of this Clippers squad. I think they're starting to answer some of those questions um, as a team. And I think Paul George is answering those questions too. So and right, rightfully so, I think that really the, their performance getting to that next round to show that they're, even if they go down in the Western Conference Finals, that they're, they're a few more steps closer to a championship than what they were, then yeah, I, I do think that that's going to give Kawhi the confidence to stay in, uh, in, in Clipper land a little bit longer. So yeah, I, I, I'm on board with that. I, I think the other the other thing to obviously keep in mind there uh, is that if it is in fact a ACL strain and as such there could be a some sort of conversation about a hobbled Kawhi coming out there if they get far enough. How much trust there is between Kawhi and and Steve Barmer around um, should Kawhi get hurt really badly, whether the Clippers would, let's just say, do the honourable thing like the Warriors did by Clay Thompson and, and give him every bit of money he deserves um, because uh, Kawhi is a very untrusting individual. Um, but if it's more of a strain, there's a chance that if Paul George and the gang can hang on long enough that Kawhi might be tempted to get out there hobbling like James Harden is doing right now. Um, and if he does, I guess we'll really find out how much trust Kawhi has mm-hmm. in the ownership there in the in LA. But moving on to your next take, uh, Nick, uh, one on a brighter note, uh, far away. Uh, well, this comes off the back of a couple of things. One, I thought that in the – to open particularly the Lakers series and in parts of this Denver series, although Nikola Jokic outplayed him at times as the MVP should, um, that very much – that uh, what we saw, potentially the, the, the national media, potentially might not have seen Phoenix play a lot this season um, in the general basketball public, that it was a coming out party for DeAndre Ayton. Um, but I do think that the Western Conference Finals will be the coming out party uh, for Mikael Bridges. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is tough. I, I think, I, I think the, uh, from a uninformed perspective or a casual perspective, this take seems scorching. They're, they're obviously very focused on Devin Booker and Chris Paul. To the niche NBA Twitter community, uh, this is a well-known uh, fact about this man's prowess. Uh, but given the general public's consensus, I'm, I'm going to hit you with scorching there, uh, Nick. Okay. Um, so tell me, Mikhail Bridges, what, what can we expect in the Western Conference Finals? Well, I think he's going to have a little bit of extra motivation because – he didn't get on an all-defensive team, and I thought that was a little bit of a shock, particularly considering where Phoenix finished. Um, there was a couple of players on there. I'm not sure if – I wasn't 100% about Jimmy Butler getting in there. Um, I think that probably could have been the time to sort of sneak Bridges in there. Um, the rest of it I was, like, reasonably happy with. Um, a lot of people might have disputed that Bam Adebayo should have made all defensive first team, but that's a different argument. But um, I think that particularly matchup-wise, I think I was I was more confident about this when, when Kawhi was going to play. But I think that matchup-wise for, for Bridges um, in this Western Conference Finals, regardless of who they come out against, that he probably didn't see it as much against... Denver, who particularly with Murray out, don't have the best collection of perimeter players um, who are healthy at the moment. Regardless, if it's if it's Utah who come out of the semifinals, people are really going to see how good Mikael Bridges is on the defensive end when he's defending Donovan Mitchell, and I do think that he have it, it's going to be a really good battle um, between him and you know whether it was going to be Kawhi or Paul George um, if the Clippers get through. I think that. Bridges is someone who has slowly started to come, you know, out of the shadows a little bit. Someone who was turning heads, I think, last year and then has really continued on and thrived, um, not only on the defensive end, but I think on the offensive end as well. You know, he started that that um yeah, that um semifinals um against the Nuggets with a pretty solid twenty-three point night. And I think that he's shooting uh, some of the plays that he's going to make off the ball, you know, he's starting to become a lot more of a confident scorer, um, not just from the three-point line, but, you know, really from inside as well. Um, I think he's going to be one of the younger players who gets 
people talking a little bit more um, because, yeah, I think most people who follow the NBA probably have a good idea of how, how talented Mikael Bridges is on both ends of, of the floor. Um, but I think that the casual public are really going to start to, you know, sit up and, and notice how, how good this young guy is. Yeah. Um, look, we've, we've been certainly not short of Mikael Bridges' love on this podcast. Um, and as I kind of alluded to before, I, I think the informed NBA community knows how special this guy is. Um, he's just, well, I'll get to the defensive stuff in a moment, but he's just one of those guys where on the offensive side of the ball, might look at his points per game averages or just his general box score numbers and go, ah, oh, yeah, okay, you know, reasonable role player. Just does everything right. Um, you know, he seems to just, he cuts at the right time. Um, he's even able to, to set a little screen. Uh, you know, he makes his threes. You see when they, when they like double Booker or Paul uh, quite high up the court, he's really capable of flashing to the free throw line and making a little jumper. Um, just a really, really smart player. Um, and that's also on the defensive side of the ball. But the, the, the point you made about the matchups being an opportunity for him, I actually think Kawhi being out almost even helps this become Bridges coming out party because Kawhi perhaps might have been able to overwhelm him with a little bit of power from time to time, uh, particularly with the Clippers spacing, uh, meaning that the doubles are probably less likely. Um, but he is the perfect guy for Paul George. Uh, and, you know, you, you brought up guarding Donovan Mitchell. If I was Donovan Mitchell, I, I'd be having night sweats about the thought of being guarded by Mikhail Bridges because we've already – look, there's one flaw about Donovan Mitchell's game uh, deep into the playoffs is that, he, you know, he, he is only, you know, what, 6'1", 6'2". I'm, I'm sure his basketball reference probably says he's 6'3 or 6'4". Um, and he, we've already had to see him rainbow some absurd jumpers in this playoffs, and to be fair, he's made a lot of them. But Mikhail Bridges, you know, go-go gadget arms, not to mention he has the speed to keep up with him. It would be a nasty, nasty five, six, seven games for Donovan Mitchell trying to get his jumpers off over him, trying to get by him to get to the rim. Um, and, yeah, he's just, he's just the perfect Swiss Army knife defender. Uh, those played close attention story did a good job on LeBron in spots in round one. And I think that's only the appetizer of what's to come. So this is a fantastic take from you, I think, Nick. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to seeing what Bridges can do. It's gonna, I think it's going to be fun. He's, he's, he's definitely one of my faves. Um, but talking more about the Suns with your second take, Lou, go for it. Now, let me preface this by saying, uh, as we've discussed, I love the Suns. Um, and if they, if they, you know, got knocked out by, let's say, the Clippers or the Jazz in the second round, I don't think anyone would have considered this a failure. But as much as it's been a Phoenix Suns victory parade over the last couple of weeks and they've gotten all the credit they deserve, I think we now have to be realistic and go, all right, they're young, they're fun, whatever. They're there. They're in the Western Conference Finals and they're facing a team that's got injury issues, regardless of who comes out of it, because Mike Conley's not just going to come back 100%. Donovan Mitchell is on a bit of a wobbly ankle. Kawhi Leonard's out. Uh, you know, it's they're going to face a team that's that's got some injury problems, not to mention some chemistry issues that, that affect the Clippers and some scheme issues that might affect the Jazz. It's really now got to be considered a failure if the Suns don't make the finals, given the position they've got themselves to here in the Western Conference. Whew. Okay, I, I, I'll definitely give that a very strong scorching, um, although I probably do agree with you uh, to an extent. Please uh, elaborate on why you think um, this would be a, a failure. Uh, now, obviously, this is under the assumption that Chris Paul is available for either all of the series or almost all of the series. Phoenix have had plenty of rest. They've had a couple of a uh, couple of matchups against a couple of different sides. They've knocked out the reigning champions and the reigning Western Conference finalists that met the Lakers there last year. Uh, they've got perceivably a well-balanced team, uh, you know, a couple of all-stars, a blossoming young big who's going to give, uh, you know, who's going to give the Clippers problems if they get there and will no doubt probably do a pretty good job on Gobert based on the job he's done on Jokic and Davis. They've got better depth than probably any other team left in the West, um, better health, and it's really just got to be said now that, Look, if I'm a Suns fan deep down, 
and I get knocked, and we get knocked out in the Western Conference Finals. I, I, I might publicly present the what a great year we finally got back to the playoffs. You know, I love where Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and Mikael Bridges are going, and Chris Paul's a fantastic veteran. You know, facade, but but deep down, I would be disappointed because they're in the box seat now, uh, and party time is over. Um, they're no longer playing with house money in my mind, um, and that news about Kawhi Leonard's injury confirmed that today. So. I think it has to be considered a failure if they don't beat whoever they get to face in the Western Conference Finals. Probably the only caveat to that is if Mike Conley comes back and looks 110%, then I could possibly allow a pass if they lost in seven games. You're right. It is all laid out for them now. The The dominoes have, well, outside of what happens to CP3, I think the dominoes have certainly fallen their way. Um, and a path has been cleared to a degree um, to the NBA finals. And yeah, I think you're right that, you know, the, the fans would be yes, very happy with the fact that they've made it to the Western conference finals and they're back in the playoffs and things looking up, but they would be kicking themselves if they go out at this stage, because they know that this is a very, very good opportunity in terms of potentially, you know, sort of talking about the injuries that are occurring really on, you know, on, on, for both sides even on the other conference as well. Um, but next year, you know, if these players are back healthy, you've got sides who are retooling to go again. You'll have a, a vengeful LeBron who's gone out and is going to have one of the longest off seasons he's had in a while um, in terms of rest and recuperation. You've got a Warriors team who's going to be back healthy and making things hard in the Western Conference. It, it, it is kind of a perfect storm for Phoenix right now and they need to take advantage of it. And yeah, they'll, they fans will be absolutely gutted if they cannot get um, past this next series and have a crack at whoever's in the Eastern conference, whether that's Brooklyn or Milwaukee or probably not going to be Philly um, after today. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it, it's all up there for for the Phoenix. I'm really intrigued to see how they handle it. So I would 100% agree that, yes, it might be a scorching take. Um, it is one that I am probably starting to, to talk myself into, thanks to your logic, Luke. Yeah, and this take, and I'm not willing to go there yet, but depending on the health and the sides that we see coming out of the Eastern Conference, this take could extend further. No. Um, but we're just going to put a pause on that because – uh, I, I'm already still recovering from my Paul Siakam George comments, so I'm not going to overtake things this week. Uh, moving on to the Avica Zubac unsung hero of the week. I'm going to let you go first, Nick, because uh, this is a, a man that we both like. Uh, I see what you did there. Um, there's uh, obviously this guy um, was someone I, I held off talking about at the start of the show when we're talking about what went right for the Clippers. Obviously, with Kawhi Leonard coming out of the lineup, a change had to be made. And it was a first playoff start for one Terrence Mann, who is my uh, winner of the Evita Zubats Award for this week. Um, had a really solid 13 points and four of eight shooting. It only made one of his three of five three-point attempts, but it was a really big one um, in that 23 uh, to nine run that opened the game back up in the second half and really changed things when, when Utah was struggling. Um, he, uh, him, him, a man in the Clippers really started getting going, and that's where the game was almost won. Um, did add a couple of boards, two assists, two steals. Did hit a clutch free throw late. Um, only missed one from the line in that pair that he split, um, and just played really aggressively. Um, you know, he, he got to the paint, highlighted by that. I struggle to call that a dunk. Um, it's more of a, a thrunk um, that went in over Gobert, but it just showed that this guy's. We've talked about how ready he was um, right throughout the regular season, how that translates into the playoffs. We've seen it at various stages in the playoffs, but a first playoff start, that's massive for a young kid. And I thought he was awesome. Um, you know, just brought the energy, wasn't afraid of the moment. You could tell that he was one of the guys who was really fired up, was happy to be starting and, you know, took that opportunity and ran ran with it. So Terrence Mann, um, you know, was someone who sung the praises a lot of and we're glad to see him getting much more minutes than Rajon Rondo at the moment. Um, in the playoff rotation, um, and that's extended to a, a start. So um, what the Clippers and Tyler were getting out of this young kid, I think is fantastic. So cheers to you, Terrence Mann. Yeah. Um, shout out to Tyler for actually 
he seems to have finally fully come around on the minutes that Terence Mann has deserved. Um, shout out to Terence Mann for taking that starting opportunity um, by the reins and, and going, right, Kawhi Leonard's out. He detonated and ended the life of Derek Favors last game. So I'm going to try to do one better and try dunk or thrunk over the defensive player of the year. Um, and yes, he was probably lucky that went in. Um, and it certainly wasn't as much of an annihilation as what Kawhi did to Derek Favors. But this man plays with the confidence of a much older man. Um, and he's just tremendous. Uh, we've been seeing the praises of him for a long time on this podcast. And back when it was, you know, February, and this was a back end of the rotation guy, and some of our listeners might have thought, why are Lewis and Nick not shutting up about Terrence Mann? Well, this is this is why. This is why. This guy's ready to play. He's got the mentality of a vet. He's got the athleticism and energy of a, of a you know the second year guy that he is, and I love what he brings to the table. And if he learns to make his corner threes, that actually means a lot for what this Clippers could be, team could be moving forward. Yeah, I, I think that he's if his shot continues to develop, he works so perfectly between Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. He's he's a really really good fit. Um, whether that's whether he continues to develop a starting uh, starting role. I'm not, I'm not sure um, whether it's, you know, in a position where the Clippers are going small and, you know, they're running some, you know, Batum um, or, you know, Morris at the five, more likely Batum and, you know, Kawhi at the four, Paul George and, and Terrence Mann and those other wing spots. It's a tough defensive squad to score against and Mann's offensive capabilities, I think, really complement, um, you know, the, the two superstars really well. So, yeah, really excited to see what he can do um, and help the Clippers close out this series. But, uh your your big Zoobs award winner for this week, Lou. Who have we got? Yeah, um, and this is a guy I've been on and off critical for, um, and part of that might have been some previous experiences I've had viewing him when he was on the Celtics. But um, PTSD. Yeah, shout out, shout out to you, Mook Marcus Morris. Um, he has stepped up, particularly in the last two games. Um, he's made his threes. I mean, let's let's not forget the guy was, I think, the corner three three-point percentage leader for the year for the NBA on pretty good volume. Um, last couple of games, uh, he scored 25 today and 24 the game before. He made five or six threes uh, in game four and three of four today. And and to be honest with you, if you really squinted, if, if Paul George filled Kawhi's massive shoes today, did Marcus Morris not feel Paul George's shoes just for one game? So shout out to you, Marcus Morris, for always shooting with confidence, regardless of whether they're going in or not. Yeah, he's, he certainly is a confidence player. But yeah, the last couple of games he's been awesome. They've needed obviously some additional scoring, particularly today. And you know, he, he very much like uh, sort of Jeff Green came to the party with Kevin Durant. Um, you know, Marcus Morris came to the party uh, with, with Paul George today, um, and he, he's just just adds um, some toughness. Um, to this squad, and that shot is a confident one. So, yeah, if he's able to, to continue this uh, shooting clip um, for um, LA and to close things out, I think that it's definitely going to happen. So, uh, shout, out, shout out to you, Marcus Morris. Certainly uh, some of the more consistent basketball that we've seen in the last couple of games, or hopefully that continues. Absolutely. Um, now, moving on to some exciting uh, an, an exciting announcement, one we've been building to now for a couple of weeks. Uh, we have picked a winner of our jersey giveaway, and uh, we're certainly hoping our winner is a listener, but we will be reaching out to them on Twitter either way. So at Chris Guest uh, is his Twitter handle. Um, and, uh, yes, we will be sending a, a jersey your way of your choice. Your Avica Zubac unsung hero was Kevin Herter, who is part of a very plucky Atlanta team. Um, so congratulations to you, Chris. We hope to see a photo of you in whatever jersey you choose. Um, do you have any words for our our fine winner, Chris? Uh, well, congratulations to Chris. There's a fantastic uh, entry, and yeah, Kevin Hurd is someone that we, you know, if, if we were doing uh, you know an Eastern Conference podcast, with someone would be talking about a lot and seeing his praises as well. Uh, 
one of the new white mumbers out there uh, in the NBA. He's a bit of a killer. I, I really, I really rate him. So, very, very good shout. Um, not sure if it'll be a Kevin Herter jersey that uh, Chris goes with, um, but no, we're, we're looking forward to to seeing uh, that jersey in a, a jersey of uh, of your choice in your hands, Chris. So, uh, shout out to you and, and congratulations. Yes, uh, and thanks to everyone that entered. Uh, we certainly do appreciate it. Um, and thanks to you, Nick, for joining me on what's been another fantastic episode. Um, I get, the, I say this every week, but I get the feeling that next week's going to be really spicy for the Pacific Division one way or another. Um, thanks to the listeners again for tuning in, uh, and we look forward to keeping you up to date this time next week.